Sunday Night Local. Here we go again. You got me again. Um, praise God for his goodness. Praise God for his mercy. And praise God for technology. Isn't this fantastic? Sunday night, 8 p.m. We're on YouTube live. Not pre-recorded, live. So any mistakes I make, they're out there, okay? But I'm believing God that... I've got a word from God again tonight. I tell you what, God is just, he's just bringing me word after word after word. And I just, I'm so grateful to him. And I trust that this word that he's laid on my heart is going to be a blessing to you tonight. So I believe I've got the sound man, the sound man is sort of waving in the background, confirming that we are up and running on YouTube. Both thumbs are up, in fact. So I know you're out there, but I tell you what. Um, while we get started, just as we get started, why don't you get yourself your Bible, open it up to Nehemiah chapter 4. It's in the Old Testament, before Psalms, so just open up your Bible to Nehemiah chapter 4, and we're going to, that's where we're going to speak from tonight, mostly from Nehemiah 4, and just keep your, keep your place in there, and um, let's just kick off straight away, shall we? So let's just open in prayer. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this word. I thank you for, uh, for your Holy Spirit. I thank you, Lord, that you minister to each and every hearer, Lord. I pray that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to each one of us. And so, Father God, I thank you, Father, for um, receptive hearts to hear what you are saying tonight. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. So, you, have you found Nehemiah 4 yet? Good? Give me a thumbs up. Yes? <laughs> so tonight, we, the title of my message is Dealing with Opposition. Dealing with Opposition. Or, if you wanted to, it's another title would be Building While Facing Opposition. So we're still carrying on talking about building the house. Whether it's your life, your family, your children, your, your career your ministry. It's about, but what are we building? We are building, we're looking at building the house of the Lord in the context of church for this. But we're looking at uh, Nehemiah, the life of Nehemiah, and we go back to the first couple of chapters. We're not going to go there tonight, but just to sort of summarize very briefly, uh, Nehemiah and the children of Israel we're rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. We've seen over the last couple of weeks how Nehemiah saw, he heard about the state of the walls. And so he fasted and prayed, he sought the Lord, he got direction from God, he prepared, he got supplies. He traveled 1,575 kilometers from Shushan to Jerusalem. He um, shared the vision with the inhabitants of the city of Jerusalem. And it just inspired the people that they all came with one accord and said, let us arise and build. And so within 52 days, they had that mind to work. And within 52 days, walls that have been laying in ruin for decades were restored, rebuilt to their former standard. Perfect. Great job. As a friend of mine would say, great job. But, um, but no problems whatsoever, right? No, wrong. Maybe there were a few issues along the way. And we're going to 
jump into all that tonight. So Nehemiah chapter 4 verses 1 to 9. And it says, But it so happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding. Now this is Nehemiah writing. Okay, so it so happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish? Stones that are burned? I mean, you can hear it's dripping with sarcasm, isn't it? Now, Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, Whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Verse 4, Nehemiah says, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their heads and give them as a plunder to the land of captivity. <laughs> he wants to get even. Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you. For they have provoked you to anger before the builders. Verse 6, so we built the wall and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height. For the people had a mind to work. <clears throat> Verse 7, now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard they're getting bigger in number, that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Verse 9, Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God. We made our prayer to our God. And because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. So, it wasn't all plain sailing. We can see from this account from Nehemiah 4 that he experienced some opposition. And like we've shared, we are all building something. And it's a given that we will face opposition. Not everybody is going to be cheering you on. I've got bad news for you, but there is good news, okay? But just because you're doing right doesn't mean it's going to be smooth sailing. And equally, just because you might hit turbulences, it doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. Okay, just make sure about that you're clear about that. And remember that God loves you in the midst of the storm, and in the bright sunshine. His love for you is not based on whether you're going through opposition or not. In John 16, 33, a well-known scripture, Jesus said, Jesus said these words. Jesus said these words. In the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world in this world it's almost like a promise it's all it's, it's a fact you will have tribulation another word for that word tribulation opposition in this world you will have tribulation you will have opposition but jesus says be of good cheer in other words 
cheer up, take heart. In fact, the Amplified says, be filled with joy. Remember James, he says, count it all joy when you fall into trials of many kind. Cheer up, count it all joy. He says, why? Jesus says, because I have overcome the world. My, my, my conquest is accomplished and my victory is abiding. The victory that Jesus achieved on that cross through his death, his burial and his resurrection still abides today. But we live in a fallen world. So how do we keep building in the face of opposition? Well, firstly, in order to know how to build in the face of opposition, we've got to know where that opposition comes from. It will come, but it comes from different places. And we're just going to go through this very briefly, the first couple of points. But firstly, opposition comes from the devil. John 10, 10, Jesus speaking. In my Bible, the letters are in red. Jesus is speaking and he says, the thief, talking about the devil, the thief does not come except to steal, to kill and to destroy. I have come, Jesus says, that they may have life and have it more abundantly. So the devil's motive is to steal, to kill, to destroy whether that's your faith, whether that's relationships, with whatever he can get his hands on, his end game is death. In fact, spiritual death is his ultimate goal. He wants you separated from the Father. That's the devil's ultimate goal. And don't let this, these thoughts scare you, okay? Because listen to what it says in Colossians. It says, but Jesus has disarmed principalities and powers. He has disarmed them. You've got to remember that the devil is a defeated foe. Jesus has disarmed him. In other words, he's rendered him defenseless. It's like removing the fuse from a bomb. The only power the devil has over us is that which we, we give to him, what we allow to him or even through other people. And it mostly comes from the devil when, what, if we allow him in, it comes in the form of fear or deception. There are other ways, but I'd say those are the two main ways that the devil has access into our lives. But that's why the Apostle Peter, he says in 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant. In other words, be well balanced and alert. We're not going to go into some weird flaky doctrine, okay? You've got to, we've got to be, we've got to walk the, the, the center ground here. Be well balanced and alert. We've got to be, um, we've got to be aware of the devil's devices. We can't pretend he doesn't exist. He does exist. Christian, the devil does exist. He does exist. So um, he says, be, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And you could say, okay, devil, you can seek whom you may devour, but you may not devour here. So we need, but we need to be sober, vigilant, and well-balanced. So opposition can come from the devil. 
Opposition can come via circumstances. Do you know what? Nothing is built to last. Just a bit of info. Nothing is built to last, whether it's your toaster, whether it's your dishwasher, whether it's your car, everything has a shelf life. That's how businesses survive, that they only have a limited lifespan on any of your appliances. And stuff happens. Even accidents, car accidents, happen. And not every car accident is caused by the devil. You know, he is not omnipresent. But sometimes engines malfunction, or brakes fail, or people are just really not good drivers. They're not skilled in driving. They lack driving skills. People get distracted. So accidents happen. So in the context of the series of building the house, though, we're referring to building the house of God, starting with our own lives and coming together as those living stones which are being built up a spiritual house. And we're going to see through the book of Nehemiah chapter 4, we're going to see what he experienced, what lessons we can learn from Nehemiah while we continue to build while facing opposition. So you've got your Bible open there at Nehemiah chapter 4. We're not going to read it again, but I'm just going to pick out little bits and little pieces out of this account. But in verses 1 to 3, initially it was only this guy called Sanballat who was on his own. And the Bible says there that he was furious and indignant. But he soon gathers around him, the Bible says, his brethren and the army of Samaria. Now the last time I looked, an army is quite a big number. So he's got a huge um, a congregation of people that he is that he is just pouring out his thoughts to. And what he's trying to do there, what Sanballat was trying to do there, was to try to make a show of strength by making Nehemiah feel outnumbered and intimidated. And that just reminds me of the children of Israel. Remember when they went in to, the, uh, into, into, to spy out in the land of Canaan and they saw those guys um, that, that were from the tribe of Anak, I think it was, and they, they looked like giants. And, and, and the children of Israel, when they came back, they said, there are giants in the land and we feel like grasshoppers in their sight. And the Bible says, and so they were. What they felt they were like, and so they were. We, need, we don't want to have a grasshopper mentality. Just remember with, um, with Nehemiah here, he was feeling outnumbered. He was feeling intimidated. But remember in Hebrews chapter 12, oh, what a beautiful scripture. It's probably one of my favorite. Hebrews chapter 12, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, it's like a grandstand. And there's Moses, and there's the Apostle Paul, and there's the Apostle Peter, and he's shouting, he's, they're cheering us on from that, that arena, that great cloud of witnesses. And he's, they say, run with endurance the race that is set before you. Don't give up halfway. Don't go halfway around the track and stop. Don't just lay a foundation and then stop. 
Don't allow that sense of being outnumbered and intimidated by the enemy to stop you. You've got the whole of heaven cheering you on, Christian. Plus, you've got your brothers and your sisters that are from the household of faith that are still on planet earth that are next to you shoulder to shoulder remember that those that are for you are greater than those that are against you and i think so often we give so much attention to the one to the one that is against us and we don't look to those that are for us the great numbers that great cloud of witnesses and what is the response of that feeling outnumbered I think what one of the things that it causes us to do is draw back. Oh, I want to get into my shell. I want to protect myself because these people are opposed against me. There's more of them. But Hebrews 10.35 says, We are not of those who draw back. We are not. Do not cast away your confidence. Not your own self-confidence, your confidence in God, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance so that after You've done the will of God. After you've built the house, after you've done what it is God's asked you to do, you may receive the promise. Listen to Hebrews 10.39 from the message. It says, we are not quitters who lose out. Oh no, we'll stay with it and survive, trusting all the way. It's always too soon to quit. I think I said that last week. It's always too soon to quit. Nehemiah didn't quit. He stayed the course. Remember, it took them 52 days to build that wall. I don't believe that this um, mocking and this taunting that Sanballat and all these other guys eventually who joined him, it didn't just happen once. This would have happened for 52 days. Can you imagine? For 52 days, getting up in the morning and having somebody mock you, intimidate you, day after day after day after day. But Nehemiah didn't give up. He had it. I believe he had it for 52 days. It wasn't a one-off. He didn't quit. He stayed the course. And all throughout this time, all throughout those 52 days, Nehemiah stayed kept his heart right before God. He didn't allow that scorn, that ridicule, and that criticism to enter into his, into his heart. He didn't throw in the towel at the first sign of opposition. He stayed the course. He finished the wall. So, if you're feeling intimidated, outnumbered, what do you need to do? Surround yourself with people who will encourage you. Don't isolate yourself. So the attack against Nehemiah also came via discouragement and humiliation. This guy, Sanballat, he started asking these questions. He started asking, you know, actually he was, he was, he was laughing and mocking them and saying to, to, to um, his brethren in the army of Samaria, and he started asking these questions in a very condescending kind of way. He asked these challenging questions. And the thing about these challenging questions is that in each question that he was asking, like, what are these feeble Jews doing? Within each question, there was an element of truth. And I think this is what happens to us, is that when somebody 
throws a challenge at you and there's an element of truth, we just own it. We incline to own it. We don't need to do that. But listen to what he says. He said, um, what are these feeble Jews doing? Well, they were Jews. Were they feeble? I don't know, but they'd just been through years of Babylonian exile. And we saw in chapter 3 that when they built the wall, these guys are perfumers. Man, they are, they are goldsmiths. I believe they were accountants, solicitors, you know, civic leaders. That's who they were. And so maybe they weren't physically able, they weren't builders. You know what, you wouldn't, I don't think you'd find them listed in the, in the latest Checker Trader magazine. They wouldn't be there. They were more sort of professional kind of guys. But Sanballat says, what are these feeble Jews doing? And he says, will they fortify themselves? Well, duh, actually, yes. That's the whole idea of building the wall is so that they can be protected from people like Sanballat. <laughs> will they offer sacrifices? Well, that's what the Jews did under the old covenant. So yes, they probably would have offered sacrifices, but not necessarily in this context. But Sanballat was mocking them. He was being condescending. I goes on asks other questions. Well, they completed in a day. I mean, come on. The wall's been lying in ruins for decades. It should have taken a number of years to complete. And with the grace of God and the goodness of God and these guys with having that mind to work, they got the job done in 52 days. And will they revive the stones from, um, and he from heaps of rubbish? Stones that are burned. In other words, are these guys going to be, you know, like pray for another miracle? So like Moses would tap the rock, you know, and the water would come out. It's, are they going to now pray for a miracle that God's going to miraculously build the walls? But you know what? The whole intention of Sanballat throughout these questions was he was wanting Nehemiah to feel stupid, to feel mocked, to feel foolish. I want to just warn, <laughs> send out a little warning note. Be careful. Of people who make you feel like this. People who take pleasure out of belittling you, diminishing you, reducing you. You know what, if, they, if, if you're feeling someone, when you leave somebody's company and you are feeling diminished, don't go back. Why would you invite that into your life? As people of God, we are called to be an encouragement. We are called to be a blessing and encourage one another. Not tear each other apart, but to build each other up. You know what, perhaps today you are feeling discouraged by the opinions of others. Maybe opposition has come into your life from the devil. Maybe it's come in via circumstances. Perhaps it's even been through discouragement that's coming from other people. So what to do? What do we do when this happens? What should we do when others humiliate us? When they discourage us? How do we continue to build while facing that opposition? That we don't go into a fort mentality, but what do we do to continue to build? Let's look at what Nehemiah did. First thing he did he prayed. First thing he did, pray for your enemies. Pray for them. Forgive them. Forgive them. We see in verse 4, Nehemiah's response after Sanballatus mocked them and ridiculed them and discouraged them and humiliated them. The first thing he says, 
Hear, O our God, for we are despised. First thing, he didn't respond to Sanballat. He didn't debate. He didn't answer those questions. He didn't form a committee. He sought God. Again, do what's right because it's right, even when it hurts. Even when it hurts. So pray, number one. Number two, encourage yourself in the Lord. The opposite to discourage is encourage. And we remember immediately who comes to mind has to be David. I think it's in 1 Samuel 30, when David and, and his army had been out um, doing whatever they did, um, and they came back to Ziglag, and the whole place had been burned down. Their enemies had, what is it, uh, the Amalekites, I think, they had um, plundered their goods and taken away their wives and children. And it says there in, in 1 Samuel 30 that um, they wept, that the men that came back from with David, um, they wept and until they had no more strength left to weep. And then suddenly the men decided, who can we blame? Here we go, the blame game. And they wanted to stone David. So he had no more strength. He had lost his wife. He had lost his children. Everything was gone. And now his men are turning against him. And the Bible says in verse 6, but David encouraged himself in the Lord. He encouraged himself. That word encouraged means he strengthened himself. He fortified himself. And the interesting thing is that that word where he says David encouraged himself in the, in the Lord is the same word when in Nehemiah 3.19 where it says that it, they went to restore, to rebuild or repair the ruins. It's the same thing. It's a restoration of a ruin. It's a repair of a ruin. Is a strengthening that God does. The word encourage. En is the prefix. And that word en means within. To include or to allow to happen. To within. And courage means strength. So encourage means to allow strength within. So if you've experienced discouragement and humiliation from whatever um, um, direction, it's time. It's time to restore, to repair, to rebuild. Rebuild and restore that hurt, that pain. Allow the strength of God to repair that pain. So number one, we need to pray. Number two, encourage ourselves in the Lord. Number three, so important key, know who you are in Christ. And I know 90% of the people listening to this will say, oh yeah, I know that one. Yep, I know that one, because I do that. Yep, I know, I've got to know who I am in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 6 says that you are accepted in the beloved. You are accepted in the beloved. And so perhaps it's time to stop listening to the naysayers and being swayed by the opinions of men. And to know who you are in Christ, to know that you are accepted in the beloved. You are accepted by God. And you know what? I don't know if you do this, but I do this. And I think others do it too. When we read that, 
that we are accepted by God. What we need to do is stop telling God about what's wrong with us. You know what? He knows everything about you. He knows what you've been through. He knows why you behave in certain ways. He knows the hurts. He knows the celebrations. He knows the good. He knows the bad. He knows the ugly. He knows your strengths. He knows your weaknesses. And on top of all that, he accepts you. We weren't saved by getting our act together. We were saved by the grace and the goodness of God, by the blood of Jesus Christ shed for our sins. So I want to I want to challenge you this week to pray a simple prayer, just to pray this prayer this week. Lord Jesus, Father God, I accept your acceptance of me. And it's time we accept his acceptance. Do that this week. I encourage you. Accept. Lord, I accept your acceptance of me. So, we're going to pray. We're going to encourage ourselves in the Lord. We're going to know that we are accepted in the Beloved. And number four, get filled with joy. Nehemiah 8.10 that's where the scripture comes from, the well-known joy scripture. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Get filled with joy. If your joy levels are running a little low, John 16, 24 says, Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. So all we have to do is ask. You know, there's that scripture in Habakkuk. Chapter 3, where the prophet writes, he says, though the fig tree doesn't blossom, and he's saying there's no fruit, there's no oil, there's no wine, there's no crops, there's no flocks. You know, he's painting this dismal picture. And I think if Nehemiah was to have written that scripture, he would have said, you know, they're mocking me, they're discouraging me, though they're humiliating me, though they're opposing me, he says, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will Joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. The Lord God is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. So you're going to go and do those four things, okay, this week. Those four things. But then we go on in the scripture and we see that suddenly, we see that none of Sanballat's plans were working for him. So he came up with another strategy. He changed approach. And so what he did was he conspired with other people in order to, uh, to attack and to create confusion. In verses 7 and 8, it says they conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. I've said it before, but you know what? If you're going to step up to serve God in any way, not everyone's going to love you, okay? You're not going to be the, you're not going to be the top of the head parade, uh, but God will. God does love you. But these guys conspire together to create confusion. Where does confusion come from? James three sixteen, it says, "For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil work are there." The message says, whenever you're trying to look better than others or get, 
uh, get the better of others. Things fall apart and everyone ends at each other's throats. Isn't that a truth? Opposing agendas and purposes create confusion and division. It happens when, when the church is going one way and you might have one person, one person, who wants to draw people after themselves and instead of after Jesus. You know, this is an opposing agenda and that creates havoc. It creates confusion and disunity. But we've seen constantly throughout Nehemiah how the people were a people of unity, united in vision and purpose. So we need to make sure, though, that our agendas are always in line with God's word, with God's will, and I want to emphasize this, and his ways. I think so often in Christian circles, yes, it's God's will. Yes, it's his word. We know those two things. But it's about the attitude of our heart in which we bring it across. There's his way of doing things as well. Matthew um, 6, 33 says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his way of doing things. And all these things will be added. All the ways of God are mercy and truth. We need to take the full counsel of God. We can't cherry pick. This isn't a spiritual Sainsbury's. We can't say, well, I don't like that bit and I'm tearing that page out of my Bible. This is not a spiritual Sainsbury's. All of his ways, all of God's ways are mercy and truth. Let love be the motivating factor. Love for God and love for each other. So after Sam Ballot and his um, Tobias and all these other guys had changed um, agendas, we see again what Nehemiah's response is in verse 9. And I'm just going to read these words. Nehemiah's response, verse 9. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to God. We made our prayer to God. Suddenly, it's not just Nehemiah praying. It's we made our prayer to God. It's a prayer of agreement. It's a prayer of agreement. It is powerful. There's power in agreement. Matthew 18, in the message translation, this is just, just changes it for me. It says this, Take this most seriously. A yes on earth is yes in heaven. A no on earth is no in heaven. What you say to one another is eternal. Gosh, that's powerful. What we say to one another is eternal. I mean this. When two of you get together on anything at all on earth and make a prayer of it, my Father in heaven goes into action. And when two or three of you are together because of me, you can be sure I'm going to be there. What an amazing scripture from the message translation. But Nehemiah says, we made our prayer to God. What I also noticed here is, we made our prayer, singular, to God. It's not repetitive. It's not begging. It's not pleading. It's one prayer only, the prayer of faith. Believe you receive and you shall 
have. Remember, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. So how did Nehemiah overcome confusion? With wisdom. The wisdom of God. If any of you lacks wisdom, James says, let him ask of God, who gives liberally and without finding fault. And James 3.17, it's a beautiful scripture about the wisdom of God. It says, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. There's so much to learn. There's so much to learn from this account of Nehemiah. But regardless of what we are building, we will experience opposition from many directions. But we can, we can take lessons from this book of Nehemiah. There's so much to learn from it. I'm just going to end with this scripture from 2 Corinthians 4.18. Again, from the message translation. And it says, so we're not giving up. How could we? Even though on the outside, it often looks like things are falling apart on us. On the inside, where God is making new life, not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. These hard times are small potatoes <laughs> compared to the coming good times, the lavish celebration prepared for us. Hey, this is, a, this is how we build while facing opposition. Have a blessed week. We're going to see you again next week for the final in the series on um, building the house. But in the meantime, remember, spend time this week. Lord, I accept your acceptance of me. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.